Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Bless God. Did anybody have anything during worship that you saw or wanted to share? Way to make me cry. Thank you, Taylor. Um, The last two songs were songs that um, hit me hard because I have kids now. I'm kind of a grown-up. And (laughs) the um, As the Deer, Leslie and Taylor had been talking about that song, about maybe Chelsea having another kid one day and all these things. That's the song that was on my heart before I knew I was going to have another one. And uh, that's kind of our hope for this little one, that she's devoted to God, that she has this longing for him all the way through. And then the last song, God, I Look to You, was one that um, was our song during Zeke's stay in the hospital, which was so hard. It was such a hard time. It was scary, never knowing like if your child is going to survive the next day. Mm-hmm. And um, just to hear that song in a different place, in a different time, and this time of my pregnancy last time, it was her medicine now. The doctors are telling me I'm strong, and it just reminds me of the portion this year, this week, about how Jacob wrestled with with someone, and uh, we believe it was God, and he didn't let go. Even when he was struggling, he didn't let go, and uh, God doesn't want us to let go, and that just, it just really spoke to me. So, yeah, thanks for making me cry. Appreciate it. (laughs) Amen. Thank you for sharing. Whenever you sing songs, and it's very easy for us to sing. We know the song. We hear it on the radio, KSPJ or wherever. And and when a song talks about surrendering all, and that's uh, something that's really been a lot in the last couple of years. And I don't I don't think any of us really grasps what it means to surrender all. It's uh, it's extremely difficult to just let things go completely. It is. I, I don't. I don't care how strong we are, or how strong we seem we are, or whatever. It, through Christ is the only way that you literally give something up and go. It's completely yours, God. I don't have to touch it anymore. I don't have anything to do with it anymore. Um, but that just really hit me because of some things, the decisions that I've had to make uh, and are still making. And it's really, it's something that I think we need to dwell on at times with the Lord, so that when those things happen. Are we truly ready to give it to him? Because it's very, it's very difficult. I mean, it sounds, it's easy to sing, you know, but it's not easy to do it when it comes down to every single day as going, it's not mine anymore to hold on to. It's not mine to figure out. It's not mine to fix. It's not mine to, to whatever, whatever, you know, needs to be done. I know obviously something needs to be done, but it had, it, there's times when it really has nothing to do with you. It's completely God. So I feel like this week's message is with God's help and guidance. And as we sang earlier in the songs, uh, with the I raise a hallelujah, and it says, heaven comes to fight for me. It's like, well, that's God is our help. And, and, um, and then even with Chelsea and, and Paul sharing here from what they received from the message, I just feel like there's the same weaving through of um, a trust, trust in God, being able to make it through the trial and the struggle and to look back and see the faithfulness of God, to trust him at his word. Even when the path that you walk down doesn't look sure, it doesn't look uh, certain. And as Chelsea mentioned, that's what this week's portion looks like. Uh, actually, it's kind of what Jacob's life looked like all the way throughout, was a long string of, Lord, why is it going this way? I didn't think it should go this way. Um, and him having to persevere throughout. And with, this, with these three portions that we've gone through there, that had introduced Jacob and Esau, we're seeing Jacob walk along a path of becoming a man of truth. Um, I think it was a couple weeks ago, maybe, I don't know, but whenever it was, we spoke about uh, the scriptures speaking of Jacob as being Tom, 
which was a form of saying that he was perfect or he was good, and that Noah and I think Abraham had been described as tamim, which is a doubling of that goodness. And so Jacob was described as Tom, but he's going on a path in his life of becoming tamim. And through that, he has to learn how to submit to God, how to walk in truth with his, with his brother. And we see some of that in this week's portion, some of the transformation that's taking place in him. And one theme that I see within this aspect of God's help and guidance is how he instructs his children in their dreams. You know, we talked about the month of Kislev being a month of dreams. We're leading into Hanukkah, which begins next week. And in these portions that we're reading during this time, over and over we see the scriptures talking of God speaking to his children in dreams and how he's guiding their footsteps along the way. And it's for them to hear and respond accordingly. And we even see that in the early life of Yeshua. In this week's gospel reading in Matthew, we see guidance being given to Joseph. So this is after the Magi had visited and they had departed. Herod was looking to find this king of the Jews that had been born so that he could dispose of him. But the Magi uh, left and did not go back to Herod. So when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. And then just skipping forward a few verses to verse 19. The scripture says, But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. So here there were three dreams given to Joseph in a short time frame, giving him direction on how Yeshua's life would be preserved from those who sought him to destroy him. And there's something we see in this that, you know, we, God is all-powerful. There is nothing that is impossible for him. And if it were his will, he could just strike Herod down and Herod would be done and Yeshua would be protected. There would be no reason for Joseph and Mary to take the children down into Egypt, but instead God says, I'm going to help you overcome the challenges in your life, but you need to listen to my voice, you need to heed my word, and through that you will have my protection and provision. So God was calling Joseph and Mary to partner with him and bring about the protection of Yeshua so that he could bring so that he could then go forward and accomplish all that God had intended for him. And we see guidance for Jacob as well. In last week's portion, Jacob was fleeing Laban. In Genesis 31 verses 1 through 3, now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's he has gained all this wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. Okay, so the Lord appeared to Jacob and said, Go back to the land of your fathers, and I will be with you. Well, Jacob clarifies a little further about what took place in that discussion 
when he's speaking to his wives before heading out. So in Genesis 31, verse 10 through 13, we see a little bit more. He explains that in the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. So God speaks to Jacob and recalls to Jacob, brings back to Jacob's mind the vow that Jacob had made and said, go back according to the vow that you made me. And so Jacob gets his, his wives and children and begins to head back. And of course, we know from the story that Laban pursued Jacob to overtake him. And in Genesis 31, 24, actually, before we go there, um, God recalls what took place in Bethel. So let's, let's get a refresher on what took place in Bethel with Jacob's vow. So Genesis 28, verse 12. When Jacob had left on his way to go to Laban's house, he stopped at the place of Mount Moriah. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and on top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. He says, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. And Jacob's response was a few verses later in verse 20. Jacob's response was a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. So when God is reminding Jacob of the vow, he's reminding him of the promise as well. And saying, I promise that I would be with you and protect you, provide for you. And Jacob then says, okay, well, if you're going to do these things, then this place which I've set up will be a house for God. And so God calls him back. And God continues to uphold his promise of being a shield unto him because Laban's seeking to pursue Jacob and do evil unto him. But God warns Laban in a dream in Genesis 31, 24. In the dream, he says, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And in verse 29, Laban says to Jacob, it's in my power to do you harm. But the Lord, but the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. So Laban's intent was to wipe out Jacob, take back his children, his daughters, his grandchildren, and all that he saw as being his. Because in Laban's eyes, everything that Jacob had taken still belonged to Laban. He didn't see that God had transferred his wealth over to Jacob by just means. All he could see was the prospect of deception because he himself was a deceiver. But Jacob had gained it justly, both the wives his children, and all his flock. So he had, he had acted uprightly and was leaving with what was rightfully his. And God shielded him and what God had provided him. Now, the interesting thing about this is that Laban's herdsmen and Laban 
saw that the wealth transfer was a deception. That's how they described it. They were saying that he has stolen everything from Laban, and now he's leaving. Now, this isn't the first time Jacob has had the situation of being said that he had stolen something and was now leaving, right? Because he had previously fled after, through deceptive means, taking Esau's blessing and then having a brother pursue him. So it's almost, things are kind of reversed, but it's a similar story that's taking place. In both cases, God protects him. Now, Jacob has acted justly in dealing with Laban, and now he's coming back, and he's going to meet Esau. And this is one of the areas where we're going to see Jacob demonstrating that his faithfulness and how he acted with Laban wasn't just a one-off thing. He was seeking to come back and walk uprightly with his brother Esau as well. So if we read in this week's portion in Genesis 32, starting in verse 3, Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau his brother in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants and female servants. I have sent to tell my lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you. And there are four hundred men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps. He was thinking, If Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do good to you. I am not worthy of the least of all these deeds of steadfast love and all this faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children." But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, with him he took a present for his brother Esau. So what's taking place, Jacob, on his return to the land, sends messengers to Esau in the land of Seir. Now, if we do a little geography, which it would be nice to have a map on the screen, maybe next year. Next year, a map on the screen, okay? Then we would see sending messengers to Esau doesn't seem like it's an absolutely necessary thing at this point in time. Because Jacob is coming from the northeast region, heading back toward Israel, and he's going to stop in the center part of Israel. But Seir is to the south. It's to the south of the Dead Sea and a little bit on the eastern side. And so his path really isn't going to cross. There's probably 50 to 100 miles between where the two of them would be. So in, in my mind, it's like, well, you might be able to skirt by and just go in and go on into Shechem dwell there in peace for a while, and later on talk to your brother when the need arises. But he pursues and seeks out his brother because it's his desire to make things right between himself and his brother for what had taken place so many years ago. At this point, it was um, over 30 years ago, 20 years with Laban, and according to tradition, there was 14 years between when he fled and when he arrived at Laban's house. But um, so he reaches out to Esau. And the response that comes back is a little unclear as to what's going to happen. 
He knows that his brother is coming to meet him, which, hey, this sounds maybe it's like a good thing. But there's 400 men with him. That's a few more than would be required for a welcoming party. It might be an attacking army, okay? And so Jacob's a little uncertain, but the, the message he gets back from his messengers doesn't seem to give him any kind of assurance. And so in fear, he begins to make plans. And we could say, oh, what's he doing fearing? How come he's, how come he's concerned? Why doesn't he say, God goes before me, he's my shield? Well, because he knows, well, it's a, it's a key principle, is we're not to rely upon miracles, although God could bring them about. We're to do what's in our power, fully trusting in God all the while, and praying and asking him for his protection, but not just going out and saying, I'm good, right? And so he begins to make plans, but the first thing that he's going to do really is go to the Lord in prayer. And he prays to God. And similarly to how God recalled the vow to Jacob, Jacob recalls the promise to God. And he says, I'm the son of Abraham and Isaac your children. So he's coming in before God according to the merit of his fathers, first and foremost. And then he thanks God for how wondrously God has provided for him and has been faithful to his word. And he moves forward into making his request for God to protect him and again, reminding God of the promise that God had made to him of how he would be blessed. And how God would provide. And so, so he moves forward with that and praying and making preparations for his encounter with Esau. So now he's brought it before the Lord. On one hand, you could think he could have turned and run. But he says, I've prayed to the Lord. I'm going to continue go, going forward with my plan to encounter my brother. And I'm going to trust the Lord to be my deliverer, even in this time that, that has the potential to end badly. And so he sends a gift to Esau. And in the gift, there's 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. And these he handed over to his servants. Every drove by itself and said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. And he instructed the first, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong? Where are you going? And, and whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my lord Esau, and moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and third and all who followed the droves, you shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him, and you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us, for he thought I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the, for the ford of the Jabbok. Okay, so he sends a large tribute to Esau. And he, and he says, perhaps this will appease him and he'll forgive me. So on one hand, we could say, is this, is this just an ex, uh, exorbitant bribe in order to try to appeal to Esau's ego or to his any kind of desire for money that he may have? Or, or is there something else? Is there some other significance behind these gifts that he's giving? And there are multiple levels of meaning behind how the story is told and the gifts that were given. But the one that we're going to look at today is primarily the aspect that what he sent to Esau was the fruit of the blessing that he had taken from Esau. 
So each of the components of what he sends and even how he has his servants interact with Esau all hearken back to the blessing that he received from Isaac when Esau was out hunting game. So first, take a look at that. Let's look back at what the blessing was that Isaac gave to Jacob on that, at that moment when Isaac had, I mean, when uh, Jacob had presented himself as Esau. In Genesis 27, verses 28 and 29, Isaac says, May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. So Isaac had blessed him with great provision. These three areas, dews of heaven, fatness of the earth, and abundant grain and wine. And then he goes on to talk about peoples will serve you, regimes bow. You'll be Lord to your kinsmen, your mother's sons will bow to you. So what was sent to Esau? There were three waves of large herds and flocks of animals that weren't just a one-time gift, but a gift that would keep on giving because he gave both male and female that would be a large flock at the beginning, but it would be expected to multiply over the years. It was generational wealth given to Esau at this point in time. He had sent it in three droves. I see the three droves as being the three statements of provision of the dew of the heaven, fatness of the earth, and abundant grain and wine. Okay, and, and as these droves come to Esau, they are told to tell Esau that they are his servant and that Jacob is his servant. So they're saying, my Lord Esau, these are all from your servant Jacob, and your servant follows behind. So the language is one of honor being given to Esau, just as the blessing was peoples will serve you and regimes will bow to you. Now he's being treated as one to whom honor is due. And then there's this other aspect where he says, you'll be Lord to your kinsmen. Okay, well, there's the servant Jacob. But he says, your mother's sons will bow to you. In the droves, that hasn't happened yet. But we see that take place in Genesis 33, verses 1 through 3. Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, and he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. So you have every element of the blessing that he received from Isaac now being played out before Esau coming into this encounter. And then they do encounter. Um, I don't have that in on the screen, so let me jump over here, Genesis 33, verse 4. Esau ran toward him, embraced him, fell upon his neck and kissed him, and they wept. I'd say that probably couldn't have gone any better. <laughs> um, Esau ran toward him, embraced him, fell upon his neck, and kissed him, and they wept. He raised his eyes and saw the women and children and asked, Who are these to you? And he answered, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the handmaids came forward, they and their children, and they bowed down. Leah, too, came forward with her children, and they bowed down. And afterwards, Joseph and Rachel came forward and bowed down. And he asked, What did you intend by that whole camp that I met? And he answered, to gain favor in my Lord's eyes. Esau said, I have plenty. My brother, let what you have remain yours. But Jacob said, no, I beg of you. If I have now, now found favor in your eyes, then accept my tribute from me, inasmuch as I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of a divine being, and you were appeased by me. 
Please accept my gift, which was brought to you, inasmuch as God has been gracious to me, and inasmuch as I have everything. He urged him, and he accepted. So what Jacob was doing is he was returning to Esau, trusting in God to be his shield and to be the one who would help him to find favor with his brother and doing everything in his power to bring restoration to what he had taken and to try to restore to Esau what should have been given to Esau. Now, it's an interesting thing to say that the blessing that Isaac, or that Jacob, excuse me, there's a lot of people in this story. Uh, (laughs) It's a funny thing to say that the blessing that Jacob took in deception that day should be returned to Esau. Because we often think of the story as being one where if if, uh, Rebecca had not stepped in and sent Jacob in there, that Jacob would not have been the inheritor of the covenant. He wouldn't have been the one who had the birthright and the blessing. But there's actually two different blessings that were to be given. And it would appear that the blessing that Jacob received there in Esau's place was not the blessing of the covenant, but a blessing of provision that was being given. And that is part of why Jacob could come back and say, let this be restored unto you, my brother. For God has blessed me, and he has made promises to me, and I've received the blessing of the covenant passed down from Abraham and Isaac now unto me. And that blessing was given to Jacob before he set out to Laban's house in Genesis 28, before Isaac sent him. Isaac said, God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply that you may, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give you the blessing of Abraham, or may he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Here's the blessing of the covenant passed down. And God affirms it on his journey on the way and in returning. And he says, may you become a company of peoples, right? May be a company of peoples. And here, when he's coming back into the land, he divides into two camps. He's got a company of peoples, right? And God is fulfilling what he has promised to him. But he was walking along this path of becoming a man of truth with God's help at each step along the way. Being, giving, God giving him victory over those who sought his life to destroy it. In each step of the way, Jacob needing to hear God's voice, to trust in him, to surrender it to him, and to walk uprightly in the midst of it all. And in doing this, Jacob is walking in a new identity. He's walking in that tamim, that perfection, physically and spiritually. And so Jacob comes back and goes into the land. Let me see where we are. Actually, we won't go back into Jacob being in the land just yet. But I wanted to speak a little bit further on this aspect of God giving victory even when there are those who are pursuing one's life to to destroy it. And keeping along the themes of God looking for man to partner with him in the deliverance, in the overcoming. And I think it's a proper theme with what we're heading into this coming week. Because starting on Thursday night, we're going to head into the celebration of Hanukkah. Hanukkah being a time where we're celebrating a great victory that God gave to his children, the children of Israel, when they were being wiped out by the Greeks. So in a time of great darkness, God gave a victory 
to his children. And that victory was given to those who held fast to the covenant and who listened to the voice of the Lord, as opposed to saying, how can I save my own skin? So at the, at the time of the story of Hanukkah, King Antiochus was seeking to wipe out the Jewish people and their entire identity. He had made rulings and decrees that forbid the observance of the Sabbath and the festivals, the practice of circumcision, the study of the Torah. And at that time, there were enemies both without, on the outside and within Israel. There were factions that were fighting with one another. <clears throat> Many in Israel had taken on the ways of the Greeks and turned from the ways of God. That was the Hellenization of many of the children of Israel. And Antiochus had, had cut off the sacrifices in the temple. He had put the abomination that causes desolation in the temple. And he had even come to the point of offering swine on the altar. And he was seeking to have abominable sacrifices made throughout all of the land, such that all the ways of God would be replaced by the ways of the Greeks and idolatrous worship. And if you haven't read, actually, even if you have read the book of First Maccabees, I encourage you to read it again this week as we're approaching the season of Hanukkah because it gives a great history of what took place both with Antiochus and with the war, the battle that, that took place between uh, the Maccabees and the great victory that God gave them and how the dedication of the temple took place. <clears throat> I probably should have mentioned that Hanukkah actually means the dedication. And it's a celebration of the rededication of the temple after the victory had been given to the Maccabees. But what happened is, in order to try to bring all of the land into idolatrous worship, they needed to get the leaders of Israel to participate so that the people would follow. And so they sent groups into the surrounding villages to have the leaders perform sacrifice of pigs on the altars, on idolatrous altars. And so they came to Modin, and Mattathias was there, and he was the one who would have been, well, he was a priest, and he, would have, he was the one that they desired to have come and offer a sacrifice so that all the people would follow. And they said, we will be rewarded with great riches, with gold and with silver, and you will be highly esteemed and favored by the king. So they were offering all kinds of worldly goods and worldly fame. And Mattathias' response in 1 Maccabees 2 is this. He answered and said in a loud voice, Even if all the nations that live under the rule of the king obey him and have chosen to obey his commandments, every one of them abandoning the religion of their ancestors, with God's help, I and my sons and my brothers will continue to live by the covenant of our ancestors. Far be it from us to desert the law and the ordinances. We will not obey the king's words by turning aside from our religion to the right hand or to the left. Now, in taking this stand and making this statement, he was making his life forfeit with the Greeks. He was willing to lay his life down. And the story goes on that he then goes and strikes down the officer. Actually, it's a little bit different. There was another who tried to rise up in his place to go to perform this sacrifice. And Mattathias went and struck him down and then struck down the officer. 
for what, the, for what was going on. And he, then he said, cried out to everyone and said, all who are zealous for the Torah and the covenant, follow me. Right? And so then they fled into the wilderness. And from there they began to war against this great army. Just a small group of people who in the physical realm had no reason to believe that they could battle and overcome this great army. But with God's help, they believed they could. And many came to join with them and to fight the battles. And within the story, Judah became the leader of, the, of this army. And he had many victories that were against great odds. And there was one account in 1 Maccabees 4 that stood out to me. And in this case, he was outnumbered. It was at least two to one. And he, Judah said to those who are with him, do not fear their numbers or be afraid when they charge. Remember how our ancestors were saved at the Red Sea when Pharaoh with his forces pursued them. And now let us cry to heaven to see whether he will favor us and remember his covenant with our ancestors and crush this army before us today. Then all the nations will know that there is one who redeems and saves Israel. So Judah, in his encouragement to his people, was do not fear even though it's completely reasonable to fear, but their numbers are not what matters. What matters is the strength of our, our God. And let us cry out to him. So again, the same aspect of let us pray to the Lord, knowing that he has a covenant with us and our ancestors, and trust in him to come and be the shield and defender of those who hearken to his word and follow him, that he will be the help and the guide. And then he says with confidence, then all the nations will know that there is one who redeems and saves Israel. That sounds so much like King David in the battle of Goliath. Then all will know that there is a God in Israel, right? It's the same pattern of faith in God to come and be the deliverer, to be the help in a great time of need. And being able to recall his faithfulness and his promises to help us to build that faith and confidence to be able to walk according to what he has laid before us. Jacob did it. The Maccabees did it. Even Yeshua did it. Trusting in the one who was able to raise him from the dead. He surrendered up his life. And with God's help, he was given the victory, right? And so within the story of Hanukkah, though, we get to come and celebrate the great victory, the great miracle that God performed. And these were miracles that God performed. But Judah and his men knew that their part was to pray, to trust, and to go into the battle and fight and let God be the one who brings the miracle about but yet they went to do their part. And that's even what happened in the dedication of the temple. For when they had taken the temple back over and they're wanting to reinstitute the offerings and the worship in the temple, they could only find one cruise of oil that had been set apart and was pure for being burned in the menorah. And the one cruise of oil would be one day's worth of oil. And it would take eight days to prepare new oil. And so they were faced with the challenge. We have the temple where we're commanded to worship God. But part of the commandment is to light the oil or to light the menorah. So what do we do? Do we wait until we have enough oil to perpetually light this menorah? Or do we go ahead and rededicate the temple now? Light the menorah as we're instructed because we have what we can. We can do today something of what God has told us to do. We don't know what tomorrow brings, 
but we'll do today what we can to give honor and glory to God and let him worry about tomorrow. And so they came and they made the, they made the offerings and they lit the menorah. And according to tradition, that one day's worth of oil burned for eight days so that they could continue going forward with all of the offerings and all these aspects of honoring God. Not because they in their flesh could do it all on their own, but because the God who provides made a way when there was no way. So through it all, he was continuing to show himself faithful and one who can take and multiply that which we offer up to him to bring glory to his name. So a great miracle happened there in multiple ways. The victory over the Greeks when they never should have had victory. The rededication of the temple and the supernatural provision of the oil that brought light. And with this provision of the oil that brought light, okay, the menorah is known as the light of the world. The light that shines there in the temple is the light of the world. So when they're lighting that, it's not just performing a service, but they're saying, God, may your light shine in this place and in all the earth. May all the world know that there's a God in Israel. May all the, girl, uh, may all the world see your salvation. And Yeshua says that he is the light of the world. Right? And if there had not been... God's miracles at Hanukkah, his deliverance of his people from the hands of the Greeks, there would not have been a Jewish people for Yeshua to come to. There would not have been the opportunity for the light of the world to be born, for the light of the world to come and bring salvation to Israel and the nations. On Thursday night, we'll read a book that says, sometimes it only takes a few who know what's right and do it too. And that's the truth. One man with courage makes a majority. One man who will say, I'm not going to kneel before your gods and make this offering, even though I'll get great riches and favor with this king. I'll have a great life here. He said, no, I'm living for something greater. My God is greater. His promises are greater. And I'm going to go forward with God's help and see him bring the victory in whatever it is that I face. And so just as Jacob wrestled, he held fast and said, no, I'm not letting go until you bless me. We, too, hold fast to our God and King and say, no, we're not letting go until we see your promises fulfilled. And we don't always know what that path looks like. There are trials and there are challenges, but God is always with us. And he calls us to a higher place to bring us to, to his complete purpose. <clears throat> and in Genesis 35, Jacob had come back and things were, well, okay, Genesis 34 actually, but he had come back, he had crossed the Jordan, he went into Shechem, he bought a piece of property, he said, now I have my dwelling, only to see more trials come with the abduction of his daughter Dinah. And then, after the abduction, to have his two children go and slaughter the entire town of Shechem, which Jacob did not appreciate. <laughs> and now he's having to flee again. But God encounters him again in Genesis 35, verse 1. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the, God, to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. 
So Jacob said to his household and all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you, and purify yourselves, and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day, who answers me in the day of my distress, and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had, and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them, so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he had fled from his brother. So God calls him to come back to the place of the promise calls him to come back to the place where the vow had been made. And I think there's a key aspect here that it was, don't forget the promise. I want you to come back here. You've come full circle. You left on the run, having operated in deception. You have walked uprightly. You have brought restoration. You have walked in a new identity that I've given you and a new name Israel, and I'm still with you. In verse 10, continuing in verse 10, God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob. Actually, that's, uh, I don't like that translation. Sorry. (laughs) Because he doesn't make it so that his name won't be called Jacob. Because he still is called Jacob after that. That's perhaps it's a little bit of semantics here. But in another translation, he says, Your name is Jacob. Your name shall not always be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. Thus he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am El Shaddai. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a congregation of nations shall descend from you, and kings shall issue from your loins. The land that I gave to Abraham and to Isaac I will give to you, and to your offspring after you I will give the land. Then God ascended from upon him in the place where he had spoken with him. Jacob had set up a pillar at the place where God had spoken with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured a libation upon it and poured oil upon it. And then Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel, the house of God. And so then he continued on in his journeys. But God had brought him full circle, brought him back here and said, look how, look how far you've come. On one hand, you could say, I'm right, right back where I started. But no, so much had changed. He had left with only his staff. Now he had come back and he was multiple camps with great wealth, with the promise being fulfilled. And even in all the trials, God's saying, I'm still with you. The promise still stands. I'm going to fulfill it. And you can go forward in confidence knowing that I have been with you and I will be with you. God is our help and our shield and he's our guide. As sure as he spoke to the fathers of old and the prophets of old, he still speaks today because he still has plans and purposes that he is bringing about for his body as a whole, for the individuals within the body, for the purpose of his name being great, for miracles being performed. Because the final redemption is going to come. The enemy will say it can't come because everything in the physical says it can't. But God says, by my, by my spirit, by my power, it will occur. And I will be known through the faithfulness of the people who are called by my name. When they hold fast to the covenant, when they listen to my voice and heed it, my power will be demonstrated in them to bring forth my purposes. So it's for us to say, yes, Lord, to surrender whatever it is, to to hold fast, not letting go, 
knowing that he's the one who's going to bring the victory and that we don't have to fear, but instead come to him in prayer, fully trusting in his goodness. Amen. Does anybody have anything that you'd like to share? I'm, I'm actually going to pass on something that Razi told me at the beginning of uh, the service. He said, so Yaakov not letting go of the man that he was fighting with, who renamed him, is very much the same as him not letting go coming out of the womb. Oh. Mm. So he is named the first time and the second time because of his quality of not letting go. Tenacity, yeah. And so I, I thought, you know, and when he said that, it, it brought to my mind, we come into this world and we hold on to the things only that we can see because that's all we can see. Until hopefully either our parents teach us or God himself just makes it so to where then we can see with spiritual eyes and see that the things that are unseen. And then we can hold on to that, right? Because when we come into this world, all we see is the material things, but we are not just material beings. We are material and spiritual. And so unknowingly, we are trying to bring the base material desires of this world, like the beastly instincts into the spiritual. And God's not going to allow that. And so when he gives us eyes and we see things spiritually, then we can bring the things of the spirit from him into the earthly because we are beings of both realms. And so this is how the kingdom is at hand. Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Okay. So I wasn't going to share, but I couldn't contain myself. It was such a great word. And I want to thank God. I want to raise a hallelujah Amen. for him using you for giving us these examples. Um, I loved it when um, God put in your, in, your, in your lips these words. In a time of great darkness, God gave and, I might have, might have added a couple words, gave and continues to give his children the victory. Mm. Yeshua is our victory. We are victors in our Messiah, in Hashem. And, and it was so funny because this week I was um, encouraging a friend and, and I, we were reading uh, Daniel when there was another in the fire. There's always another in the fire. And that's always him in our darkness, in our fire. In our moments of distress, of frustration, he is always present. And someone mentioned something, you know, related to, I forget his name, but it, it's just, he's always there. Everything that we don't see physically, he's trying to open our eyes because it is challenging to see in the spiritual when we're so fixated on, 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 on the physical, on the natural. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we bless you and we thank you, Lord. We do love you. Lord, we give you glory. We thank you, Lord, that you are faithful and good. We thank you, Lord, that you uphold your promises, that you are our help, our guide, our shield. You're our hope. Lord, we thank you for all the things that you do in our lives that we see and even those things that we don't see, Lord, because we know that you're always moving, always acting. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your uh, victory that you've given us. And we give you praise in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.